We hear a lot about health these days, but what does it mean to have a healthy family? This is the Homeschool Sanity Show, the episode where my guest and I talk about pursuing healthy families with respect to the mind, body, and spirit. I'm Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschool mom and curriculum author. And this is the podcast helping you wave goodbye to worry and say hello to a happy homeschool. Hey, homeschoolers. There is so much more to our families than the bodies they inhabit. They have minds and spirits that need to be cultivated too. Before I introduce my guest who will tell us how we can raise healthy families, I want to thank CTC Math for sponsoring the podcast. Are you looking for a new math curriculum? CTC Math specializes in providing online video tutorials that take a multi-sensory approach to learning. Favorably reviewed in Kathy Duffy's 102 Top Picks and the Old School House Crew Review, the lessons are short and concise to help your children break down concepts and appreciate math in a whole new way. The lessons are taught the traditional way, not to a test. Each one of the video tutorials is taught by an internationally acclaimed teacher, Pat Murray, who is renowned for teaching math concepts in a simple, easy to understand way and in only a few minutes at a time. CTC Math uses a multi-sensory approach of effective graphics and animation synchronized with the voice of a friendly teacher together with practical assessment. This three-pronged attack makes learning so much easier and more effective. Even students who struggled with math are getting fantastic results. And those who are doing just okay are now doing brilliantly. Visit ctcmath.com today to start your free trial. Jody Maccabee is a photographer, writer, blogger, speaker, social media influencer, and homeschooling mother of five living in the Black Hills of South Dakota, my home state. With a passion for health, wellness, parenting, and more, Jody blogs her family's journey and shares tips for a healthy and active lifestyle. She also writes curriculum for creative and artistic learning in a homeschool environment. I found Jody's vision for family health to be quite inspiring. I hope you will too. Jody, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I would love to have you tell us a little bit more about you and your family before we jump into the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Melanie. Um, my name is Jody Mockabee. I'm a wife and I have five children ranging in ages 10 to 16. So we have some identical twins that were kind of thrown in there at the end. <laughs> so at one point we had five under five. Oh, wow. <laughs> so busy year. <laughs> oh, I guess so. And Jody, you're a homeschooling mom. Why did you decide to homeschool originally? You know what, Melanie? Honestly, homeschooling wasn't necessarily on the radar originally for us. I started my oldest and my second oldest um, in a traditional private Christian school, and they both had a year under their belts. Um, and my oldest son, he's um, a little bit on the spectrum. 
and he consistently asked to be homeschooled and i didn't think he even really knew what homeschooling was but he was consistently asking to be homeschooled and one evening um he had this nightmare that was actually recurring and he never would share the details about it with us and it was really difficult to try to get him to share these details because they were so scary for him and so one evening he finally opened up to us about this nightmare that he had had and as he spoke in his childlike descriptions my husband and i both realized he was talking about the book of revelation and it was just a really crazy moment where we were just in awe of these nightmares that he was having and he would always wake up before god won and so my husband took him downstairs and read the finishing chapters of revelation for him so that he could know that god wins and after that moment we realized man we are sending our children away for hours a day and even though they were in a christian school we felt the heavy responsibility of teaching them diligently at home. And so we spent a lot of time in prayer and just realized how much God had given us with these five children and how much of a responsibility it was for us to raise them, especially with situations like that, where it was just this mystery that we couldn't really describe that our son was experiencing. But to be alongside him all day, every day, to be able to talk through and walk through those experiences with him. So that um, it, it was a burden initially knowing that this is something big that we need to take on. But once we made that decision, it was just so fruitful immediately. And now looking back, seeing how peaceful and pleasant it has been for our family, specifically for him, since he has sensory needs to be just in a really peaceful environment, it was the best decision. And I can't help but wonder that maybe those nightmares, you know, were there for a purpose far more than what we can really know or determine, but they certainly led our family on a beautiful path. So. Oh, well, I love that you shared that with us. I mean, that is one of the more unique answers to that question <laughs> that I have gotten over the years, but that is a beautiful, beautiful story. And I'm so glad that you have enjoyed your homeschooling journey and been blessed by it as I have. Well, we're going to transition now to starting to talk more in depth about your personal parenting story and why you decided to write the book, The Whole and Healthy Family. Okay, well, I think with parenting, I kind of jumped in wanting all of the answers, I'm sure like a lot of us do. And you know, there's that joke that you bring your baby home from the hospital and they don't give you this guide or anything on how to care for him or her. And so anytime a problem would arise, teething or something like that, I I fled to kind of books and information. And for me, I wanted statistics and studies and anything that I could get my hand on to help, to use it as a tool really to help me with my parenting. And so that's kind of where the the premise of the book started from is gathering a lot of information um, spending time in the word because information is nothing unless you're you're focusing on the truth of God and your relationship with God and just really kind of um, combining this approach to kind of meeting their physical needs, their mental needs, their spiritual needs. And that's through the Bible, that's through research that is modern, that is new, that we can kind of use 
um, as tools to help us parent. And so I started realizing that our approach to parenting really was this holistic approach of um, nourishing their bodies with healthy food and nourishing their their spirits with scripture and in a biblically based family and then also just nourishing their minds by keeping them active outdoors and in nature and creating a simple home environment for them to thrive in so it really took on this holistic approach that i thought man if i would have a book that kind of taught me about some of those tools at the beginning it would have been really helpful so that's kind of the heart behind the book is just to help these young parents um, really see their children as whole children that have, you know, separate needs and how to kind of nurture those needs. Well, I love that. And and so that explains why your book is divided into three sections, right? You have the whole mind, the whole body, and the whole spirit. Can Correct. you tell us a little bit more about what we can expect from each of those sections? Yeah, um, the whole mind, you know, it, it talks about equipping your children to really kind of um, work in a family environment, where to, how to communicate with one another, how to communicate with each other. It teaches the parents how to really identify personality traits or communication styles with their children, because I know you have several children and they're all different. Yes. They all require different forms of communication. And a lot of times it takes us quite a while to discover those. Um, but if we really have an efficient approach, then we can kind of target in on their, their hearts and their spirits. So to be able to communicate with them in that way. And then also there's a chapter on nature and just what a role that plays for mental health. And so, um, and we're just really passionate about that because I have four boys and I just want them <laughs> to be able to release, you know, all of that they need to release to decompress in nature versus video games or TV when they come home to their families, you know? So mm -hmm. I really wanted to equip them with these tools to use once they're adults so that it benefits their family as well. So that kind of captures the whole mind. I also go into a little bit because my oldest son is on the spectrum. We really had to create a home environment that was simple for him, that um, absorbed sound that was that really cared for his sensory needs. And so I go into having minimal toys and um, mm -hmm. trying to use natural, you know, um, clothing and natural materials in your home decor and different things like that, it all plays into the brain of the child. And so that's kind of in the whole mind section. In the whole body section, we focus on food and fitness and health and wellness. And so I share a little bit about what we eat. And with my oldest son, who's on the spectrum, we went through kind of a strict diet to help um, detox him from whatever it was he was experiencing. And that really helped him neurologically. So I share a little bit about that and just how it's benefited the whole family, um, not just, you know, my son that's on the spectrum. And I go into just the importance of fitness and doing it together as a family. And mm. so I also share kind of some home remedies that are all natural and, you know, don't require trips to the doctor or anything like that. So that's kind of the whole body's portion. And then the whole spirit portion talks about just being biblically grounded as a family, 
serving as a family, um, speaking affirmations over our children, and just being spirit-led and listening to the Holy Spirit ultimately in our parenting, that's the voice that we want to listen to. So over all of the studies that I like to rely on and all of the, you know, quote unquote sciences out there, um, to keep in step with the spirit is really the most important as a parent. And so it kind of finishes with that. Hmm. Well, I love that. And I mean, I can relate to so much of what you're sharing. And I know that my audience is going to relate to it too. I can tell even from what you're sharing that creating a family culture, a healthy family environment is very important to you. And we know that we have to be intentional Mm -hmm. in order to create that. It's not just going to happen automatically much as we might want it to. And I know that you and your husband made a decision about that during your early years of parenting. Can you talk about how you began talking about that and what are the elements of a family culture? That's a good question. I think for us originally it came from observation. We spotted different families that we really admired and not one family you know fully captured what we wanted in our own family because of course we're all different but he has um an uncle who whose family is very adventurous and they spend a lot of times out in the outdoors and um we would just watch them hike as a family and just really be invested in nature and we loved that so we just asked them so many questions anytime we saw them to just really pick their brain on how they developed that in their family culture. And then we had another family that we kind of were mentored under that we also admired that just did a really great job at equipping their children spiritually. They connected with them on a very deep level. They were very intentional, so much so that the husband kind of quit his full-time job and um, worked part-time jobs so that his sons could work alongside of him so that he was mentoring them all day every day and so to watch their level of intention was inspiring and um, admirable so we would pick a little bit from them and so we just found several families that we admired and and saw um you know little glimpses of what our family could potentially look like and so it started with observation i would say and then once we kind of nailed down some of our ideals or our goals as a family or a vision, that's when we really kind of kept that as the bar. And so all decisions were made based off off of that. Well, if we want to spend time in nature, then we are going to have to say no to organized sports or, you know, so all these decisions were made based off of this bar that we had set. And of course, those decisions have to change as children grow and get older and their needs change. And so an intentional lifestyle creating this family culture comes through millions of tiny decisions. (laughs) But the importance is being in conversation about that, communicating that, and keeping an eye on what the ultimate goal is for your family. And so once you kind of have an idea of what your family vision is, you can kind of measure each of those decisions based off of that. And so that's kind of what developed our family culture. And so everything kind of fell alongside and inside of that model based off of just what our ultimate goal was to be as a family. 
Okay. Well, that's, that is a great description of how you develop that. And that is certainly a high level of intentionality. You didn't just fall into it, which I think is such a huge temptation for families who are beginning their journey. Can you tell us? Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say it is it's hard when you're that intentional about things. We were made fun of so many different times because small decisions that you could quickly say yes or no to, we would have to respond, well, we need to talk about it and see how it fits within our family model. And, you know, people would joke, you're way too intentional. Just say yes. Or, you know, (laughs) we avoided a very busy schedule in those early years because we ended up saying no to a lot of opportunities that you normally would just kind of say yes on a social level um, that really did not fit our family model. And so it it does help avoid being, you know, needlessly busy. Mm. Well, that that is an excellent um, concept, I think, for each of us to grasp from what you're saying, that it's it's, I guess, a more holistic <laughs> approach to to being holistic and having a family culture. And I wanted to ask you then, what role does prayer play in creating and shaping that family culture? Because you said, you know, we have to talk about it as a family. And so how does prayer come into that? I would say that my husband has been a, an amazing leader in in that aspect, because I tend to make quick decisions. Um, I tend to fill the the schedule and the calendar very quickly. And I have kind of, I guess, a higher energy level or capacity. So it doesn't bother me as much. And for him, he's very intentional and in tune with his capacity and and really spiritually wants to have um, guidance in every decision that we make. And so he kind of is the reins on the horse. (laughs) (laughs) So he pulls the reins and always brings it back to what does the Lord have for us on this? Let's pray about this. Let's pray about it together. Let's pray about it individually in our own time. And I look back at a lot of our major decisions in life, including homeschooling. And there was a lot of time spent in prayer together and individually and we would come back and oftentimes the lord had shared very similar things for both of us individually on that subject and so that's where just the grace of god has been over our marriage on these big issues and decisions that have had to be made because he has spoken individually to us about specific issues and we can come together and say this is what i feel led to do. And it's every single time on a really large decision has been the same. And so that's just been really encouraging. That would be encouraging. Uh, Well, very, very inspirational. Thank you so much for explaining that to us, Jody. I wanted to kind of back up a little bit because we were talking about holistic. Mm -hmm. And I know that that is a word that just gets thrown around so much that it has almost become meaningless or or we don't even know what is meant by that. So can you tell us what you mean by a holistic approach to health and wellness? Yes, and I think you're right. There are so many different definitions, um, you know, unless we look at the actual Webster's Dictionary, I think society views holistic as 
very different based on your perceptions or your idea of what holistic is. But for health and wellness, for us, we always go to what was God's design. And so when we look at God's design, that eliminates Western medicine almost entirely. <laughs> and so I know, and I, I talk about this in our in the book, Western medicine has its place. It, it has its role. We, we would never deny it if we needed to use it. So um, God has equipped people with brilliant minds and hands and all of that for Western medicine. So I want to make sure that everyone knows that we, we do support Western medicine, but our go-to is always what was God's design? What did he create to um, heal this or, or to help with burns or to help with mm -hmm. infections? And there typically is always some sort of herb or something that can be used naturally um, to help with ailments and infections and different things. So for us, holistic on a health and wellness aspect is always looking at um, food as preventative and um, not necessarily looking for treatment as much as how do we prevent these bad things from happening? Well, it's through our diets. Mm -hmm. And even when we do need to treat, how do we treat our bodies in the most gentle way so that they can recover quickly and that there's no long-term side effects? And that usually comes down to what God, his design was in nature through plants. And thankfully we have so many resources um, now with technology to be able to access Eastern medicine and different um, herbs and different things that wouldn't necessarily grow in your region. We uh -huh. have access to all of that. So that's kind of for us what holistic means when it comes to health and wellness. All right, very good. Well, we're gonna shift gears a little bit, but it's still under that umbrella of holistic, I believe, because one of your book chapters deals with sexuality and how we talk to our children about it. When did you start having conversations about sexuality in your family? I think since the children were two or three or four years old, um, we were, in our family, there was a situation that happened that was pretty traumatic too. He was an adult at the time, but we had just started our family and he was sharing, he had tried to take his life and he went into recovery to discover that the reason why he was suicidal and had all of this depression and anger was a result of um, being exposed to pornography at a very young age. And he didn't have anyone to discuss that with. He had never heard about sex or the, he had no idea what sex was. And so um, that exposure really, and, and somehow his brain was able to block it out. So that was the other side too, is he never really remembered it happening until he had a therapist there to walk him through some of that deep buried trauma. And that's when he discovered that that access is what led to this deep depression. And at the time, I think we had our first child and he was a baby at the time. And I remember just thinking, I wanna prevent my children from having to go down this road. It was just so heartbreaking. And I was so grateful for this family member to share his story because he really was trying to alert us as young parents on what is out there and, and what could potentially happen. And so that led me down a path of trying to figure out prevention. And what I had learned with prevention is that really education 
is the best way to prevent any of this trauma from happening. And the reality is, I don't think any of our children are safe from porn. Um, they're, I always tell people it's a matter of when they will see it. It's not a matter of if. And so how do we equip them to be able to handle that emotionally and mentally when that happens? And so where we start is when they're two or three years old. And instead of creating a, you know, shame based around um, body parts where we make up these weird names for body parts, just name them as they are, like you would name an elbow an elbow, name um, genitalia that, you know, the correct name. And that kind of starts this process of just having a healthy sexual culture within the home, where then as other issues come up, you're able to discuss them openly and mm -hmm. without any kind of shame or embarrassment. And so that creates just this open conversation that's constantly happening. And so there was never a quote unquote sex talk for us in our home. <laughs> it was just a conversation that we had all the time. And so mm -hmm. I will say developmentally, I would say most of our children didn't quite understand the concept of, you know, sex until they were maybe eight years old developmentally. And that's when they started asking the typical questions. But mm -hmm. we, I read about this um, concept and it's called the law of first mention. And um, the idea behind it is that the exposure that a child gets to sex, their first exposure creates some kind of historical um, bar in their brain that they compared that for the rest of their lives to however they were exposed. So if you're giving them God's design for sex and, and the, their exposure to sex is beautiful and it makes sense, then that's the bar that's always going to be there um, as they grow into their adulthood for sex. But if their first exposure is um, horrific or online or in some kind of perverted way, mm -hmm. that's the bar that as parents, we're going to have to erase and redevelop, you know, and that takes a mm -hmm. lot more work than creating a healthy sexual culture from the beginning. Right. Well, I love that, Jody. That was just an excellent, um, just a, a reminder, a, a good, um, just a good word <laughs> on a very, challenging topic it's just so difficult to um to share i think in a public medium about this topic you and i talked about that before we started our interview that we have to be careful about what words we use because uh, it can be misconstrued right and so i just appreciate so much that you are um visiting this topic and that you are also going to uh, share with us in more depth in your book. <laughs> so I encourage people to check out that part of your book. But I want to know what other practices do you discuss in the book that have changed the way that you parent? Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, I think you know, I, I'd love to talk just about getting the children outside and recognizing their capabilities physically, um, especially, again, have not to stereotype boys and girls, but from my experience of having four boys and one daughter, um, the boys physically require so much more output 
um, than my daughter <laughs> does. And I think that's by design as well. And so to, um, to try to meet those needs, I think traditional education has really failed to recognize the need for physicality. And oftentimes kids get, you know, labeled as bullies or um, ADD or ADHD or something just because they have energy and they don't have a physical output for that. So one of the practices from a really young age with my boys, I realized is they just need to run it out. And so starting from toddlers, I would take them on a morning run and they would be in the jogger and then about a half mile from my home, they'd, they'd get out and they'd have to kind of hold on to the side of the jogger, depending on where we were at, or I would kind of let them run in front or along the side and they'd run their way home with me in their little footy pajamas. And um, right before <laughs> we even had breakfast, that's been a habit that has been a part of our family um, for 16 years. And so all five of my children have to get up and run every single morning. And that's just been an exercise that has truly grounded our family. And so it's the benefits of it are just, I can't even explain. I don't know if you have teenagers yet. I'm not sure the age is on your kids. Okay. So yes, teenagers are like bears <laughs> trying to wake up and you know, like don't poke the bear. <laughs> all right. Avoid you just try to avoid any kind of communication with them until they're fully awake and up and but the morning run has just saved our um the whole environment in our household because those bears if you can get them out the door you know before talking to them <laughs> <laughs> then they put their tennis shoes on and they go and run and when they come back they are so joy-filled their countenance mm -hmm. is um is right it's it's happy and they're ready to start their day. So I've just noticed that practice in itself has really grounded our family, has started us off on the right foot, no pun intended, <laughs> every morning. And so that's been one of the practices that I share in the book that um, I would just highly recommend any family. It doesn't have to necessarily be running, maybe it's a morning hike or walk or something like that, but it really does, um, just allow that your children to you know experience endorphins first thing in the morning and and let out steam so that they're focused and ready for their homeschool day and if they're not homeschooling so that they're ready to just face the day and they've already had that kind of physical grounding so mm -hmm. wow well i am really I'm not often surprised by um, a practice that a homeschool family has, but I am. I'm surprised by that one. <laughs> and I'm, you know, we have had physical fitness be a part of our family to really to the max. Um, I have five boys. My husband is super into fitness, um, and I am too. And so we would have our workout time that we would do as a family, but I never considered getting them up and having them <laughs> work out first thing in the morning. Now, I love to do that. That is how I wake up and I get into a good mood, but I haven't ever considered that for my kids. And it's probably a good thing now <laughs> because my I only have one left at home. And if I suggested that to him, he would say, get real, mom. <laughs> to do that. Uh, but I think that is such a neat idea. That is what I love about talking to people like you, Jody. is that we can get all of these ideas and some of them are going to work 
beautifully for our family. And we may not have even considered them before hearing someone like you share your experience. I love that. Okay, so I don't think I'm going to be surprised by your approach to another homeschool issue and a family issue these days, and that is screen time. Can you tell me how you manage screen time in your home? I know my listeners are going to be very eager to hear what you have to say. Yes, screen time, I feel like is a constant struggle of trying to figure out what is best for your family. And of course, it looks different per family. And so um, I can't imagine trying to say what is right or true, but I can share our experience. And part of that, I think, stemmed from having um, a neuroatypical child. And, um, you know, with him specifically, he can be very addictive. And um, his brain, he's drawn to technology. And I could just see kind of the handwriting on the wall if we gave him that as an outlet where that would potentially end. And so we actually never really exposed our children to technology. They never had devices or anything like that Um, for that reason. But also, you know, when we spoke about having a healthy sexual culture, I just didn't want to take the risk of being responsible in my own home for my children being exposed to things, um, knowing that they don't have the maturity to be able to screen things or handle things or um, even be able to know what's right and wrong for them, um, what their what their accessibility is to such things. And so um, we decided that protection would probably be our strongest um, ally in in dealing with screen time and by protection that just meant absence of screens so Mm -hmm. we never had a television until just about a year ago we purchased a home that has kind of a separate family room and we decided well we could probably put a tv up in there for family movie nights but you know of course it can't there's no cable or anything on it so Mm -hmm. you have to just access movies by streaming or or whatnot. So it's not like it's on all the time or anything like that. But we have really avoided screens for the most part. Our oldest two boys are both in high school sports. So they do homeschool, but in our state, they can play for public schools on their teams. And so unfortunately, we were gonna try to wait until maybe 18 for them to get smartphones, but their teams required apps. Mm which is just so frustrating right? Right. <laughs> because we've made it this far and um, we've educated them on screens and what that does to the teenage mind. So they had all these statistics. They both had chosen not to necessarily have smartphones because they didn't want to deal with the addiction aspect. They didn't want to deal with social media, but be- they did want to play these sports. So ultimately, both of them just this year have um, purchased their own smartphones and they have the cheapest plan that has pretty much zero data, but allows their apps to um, be on there so that they can communicate with their team. Mm -hmm. They haven't requested any social media. Um, You know, all of their phones are parental controlled and and everything Mm -hmm. like that. But ultimately, I don't necessarily want to run that tight of a ship to where 
we're hovering over them with these decisions. I want them to be equipped. And so that's where the education comes in, where mm-hmm. we just kind of are constantly exposing them to studies on um, what screen time does. And so they can kind of make those decisions for themselves. And we do a lot of discussion. Um, my oldest boy, his track team, the only way they communicate is through Snapchat. Mm. It's so frustrating because, you know, you can text. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But no, it has to be on some silly little app. And so um, we had several intentional conversations about this app and whether or not it would be good or not for him to be on it. And he ultimately chose to be on it because it gave him access to his friends that would otherwise not contact him. And so I loved the conversation going behind it. And um, he is not on it other than to communicate on where to run or where to meet up for a hike. And so we're just so proud of him with how he's handled that um, responsibility and just kind of the lens that he sees social media through. He has zero interest in it as any mm-hmm. form of, you know, um, parading pictures or TikTok mm-hmm. or any. He just has zero interest in that. He really just wants to be out hiking with those people rather than on a screen. So I think the education and just, you know, allowing them to make those decisions on their own, but also just giving them enough information to where they realize it's a big waste of time. So mm-hmm. they've been mm-hmm. able to kind of see that. And it's even with them paying for their own phone bills, I love that they mm. chose the cheapest plan where they can <laughs> access the internet if they're not in Wi-Fi, you know? <laughs> uh-huh, right. I, I do love that. That shows me that their priority is for saving money rather than mm-hmm. <laughs> being online, you know? So um, that's how we've managed it so far. We do have a computer that um, the whole family can use that stays in a public place in our dining room area. And um, because I do want to encourage the kids to research things. Mm-hmm. And if they're curious about something to be able to Google that, but the screen is facing, you know, the kitchen to where we have access to it at all times. And um, they use that, they, they've they kind we've gotten out of the habit of having them ask every single time to use it. But because it's in a public place, there's kind of safety in that, just mm-hmm. knowing that there's, there's not gonna, you know, be poor use when mom's always walking in and out of the room. So Mm -hmm. there can be, (laughs) and that conversation Mm -hmm. does happen where we check in on them, but it's always like looking up some waterfall on Google earth or. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. I believe that it's always helpful to hear what other people have chosen. And I love that you have humility about it. And, you know, there's there's grace there. You know, things are constantly changing, aren't they? With, um, you know, as our kids grow and they're involved in various things and we have to make choices. And I love especially that you are coaching your kids to help them make wise choices for themselves because that's going to be happening all the time in very short order, right? It will, and I think that was kind of a blow for us originally when (laughs) we had to get the smartphone was just, man, we were really hoping to prove that these are not needed in order to function Mm. in society. And I think the reality for us was actually they are. (laughs) 
And <laughs> <laughs> you can try yeah. to avoid it as much as you can, but if you choose to integrate into society in mm. any sort of form of, um, even college mm. classes now require apps. Um, so if if our if we're starting to send our children out into the world, um, unfortunately these devices are required, and so it's better to just be educated about it and accept it than it is to be in denial about it and throw mm -hmm. them into it, you know, without them having mm -hmm. the tools to navigate. Absolutely agree. Well, this has just been delightful, so fascinating for me as well, and I'm sure my listeners feel the same way. I am wondering if you have any other resources besides your book available for readers who are interested in learning more. I do, Melanie. I have on my website, jodymockabee.com. We have um, several different resources that we offer for homeschooling families that um, we created from our own home. Some of them are unit studies, others are um, verses to song. They're, they're memory verses that we created tunes to that make it really easy to memorize. And um, I also have a getting started manual for families who may not necessarily wanna homeschool by a boxed curriculum, but um, that may wanna just kind of pull together different resources, mostly living literature. We also created a notebooking manual and that is the one and only form of language arts we use in our homeschool. So we um, notebook our way through everything that we read and through notebooking, they've gained all of their language art skills. So okay. it really simplifies having to try to find a curriculum or several different forms of curriculum to um, fit that language arts needs. And so mm -hmm. it's just a really creative and artistic way to um, work through language arts and to document everything that you're learning together as a family. So I sell all of those in my shop and they're just really fun and beautiful ways to learn together. All right, wonderful. And then most importantly, where can we get a copy of The Whole and Healthy Family? Well, thank you for asking. Um, they are available in pretty much any bookstore, of course, Amazon, and I would encourage people to purchase it on Amazon because, you know, the reviews are so helpful as an author. Um, if you're going to plan on leaving a review, that always really helps spread the word. So if your listeners do grab a coffee and read a book and or read it and find some nuggets in there that they want to share with others, that's probably the best place to purchase it. But also uh, my publisher offers it, they offer free shipping and they, I believe they have a discounted price for it as well. So they can go through um, Ravel Books and find that as well for a discounted price and free shipping. But I, I would probably push them more towards Amazon just so that those reviews can be available. Okay, wonderful. Well, I will put all of those links that you just mentioned in the show notes for this episode. Jody, thank you so much. It was a delight to meet you and to get to visit with you today. Likewise, Melanie, thank you so much for having me on here. To find a link to Jody's book and the other resources she mentions, go to homeschoolsanity.com/healthyfamily. Thanks again to CTC Math for sponsoring the podcast. Have a happy homeschool week. Thank you for joining me on the journey to homeschool sanity. I would love to continue the conversation. 
You can find me on social media at Homeschool Sanity. And if you haven't heard it lately, let me remind you, you're doing a great job. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.